On this week's episode of Read, Watch, or DNF, we head over to the Hudson Valley in search of a headless horseman among generational myths and modern greed in Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow and its 1999 screen adaptation, Sleepy Hollow. And we ask the question, what actually makes a good adaptation? Also, what happened to Christina Ricci's eyebrows? Welcome back, everyone. Uh, To all of our returning listeners, we love you so very much. If you're listening to us for the first time, this is Read, Watch, or DNF, a bookish podcast where we, Mel B, and the lovely Jackie D. Hello. Your hosts drunkenly break down book-to-screen adaptations each week. We flip a coin to see who will read or watch first, then we come together to compare notes and discuss if the order in which we read-watch affected our final reviews. News. We are kicking off March, finally, and uh, we are introducing graphic novels into our mix. First up on that uh, will be the Umbrella Academy, the Apocalypse volume, and that would be season one of the Netflix original adaptation. Also on our other podcast, DNF Happy Hour, we are exploring fluffy, cuddly monster fuckers for all of the hashtag March Monster Madness. Finally, we will be launching another book fairy giveaway, as well as a podcast giveaway of the special edition paperback of the Ice Planet Barbarian book, which has a uh, an ad- has additional content in it and an exclusive bonus epilogue. Also, it has the honeymoon for Georgie and Vectal. Social media links are posted in the episode info from now on. So our social media manager, Marina, make sure that all of our accounts are updated. But if you want to chat with us directly, the best way to do that is to follow us on Twitter, and that is at ReadWatchDNF. F-bomb dedications. This F-bomb is going out to who, Jackie? Jamie Hunt. Uh, her book, Marked by Fate, is released this February, available on Amazon and Kindle Unlimited. And brief synopsis of the book. She found her true home, just in time to fight for its survival. She's been thrust into a fairy realm she didn't know existed, summoned by an ancient creature who's an omen for war to come. Her bloodline is being hunted to extinction. Will she stay and fight? It's the first in an adult fantasy romance series that's based loosely on Celtic lore, which will take you on an action-packed journey of lost love and found family. Which I found in a lot of our books with found families are sometimes the best families. I I love a found family trope. That's probably up there, like, my top five. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people don't like it for some reason. I, I don't really know what they're looking for, but it, it just, it fits, right? And it works. A lot of these books. Six of Crows, I mm-hmm. think, is probably the best one out there. Yeah. Mm. 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 yeah. Jackie, what are we drinking? Well, I am drinking Yingling Lager. It is from America's oldest brewery, so I think it's appropriate because I believe this is the oldest story we're doing. Mm. Or we've done. Or one of the... 1820, yeah. It's definitely, yeah. I am drinking uh, Rosa Regali. It's just red sparkling wine. It's my favorite. I was being lazy. Jackie put in an order for delivery and got me two bottles of it because she knows it's my... But we do have a cocktail. It is a Sleepy Hollow cocktail. Ingredients. One-fourth cup honey. A sprig of fresh rosemary. 
a zest from one orange, cinnamon sugar to rim the glass, a quarter cup of pomegranate or cranberry juice, you get the pick, two ounces of tequila or mezcal, orange bitters, cinnamon, and sparkling water. It's it's an interesting drink. I don't really understand it, but it's a sleepy mm-hmm. hollow cocktail. Okay. Essentially it's a it's a um Halloween or autumn margarita, which I feel like I've already done because while we were at the Mexican restaurant before we started recording, I had a sangrita, which was sangria and a margarita. So it's kind of like this. It's like the same, but not the same. Jackie, do we have a drinking game? Uh, Yes, I did find a few. But as I was going through them to try and pick the one that I like the best, I realized that it was a mix of drinking games for this movie and the TV series. Mm. And it does not indicate which one it's for in the night in the name or on the website. So you actually had to go in and I realized if there was a reference to the name Abigail, it was for the TV series. Mm. But this one is from uh, macabrebrothers.wordpress.com. Oh, that's a new one. Yeah. So this one comes complete with a legend because after each rule, there is a single letter code and that letter code corresponds to what you're supposed to do. An H indicates take a hit. A hit? So... Is this like a drinking and drug game? I don't know. It's the drugs? It would be like, just like, take take a, a hit off that joint. I don't know. Oh, this is a drinking and the drugs game. If you don't do the drugs, uh, Jackie and I don't because we can't. We would just do the drinking. But if you do the drinking and yeah. the drugs, then I guess you can follow this to the law. But if not, just drink. That or it's just take a sip of the beer. Or the drugs. But a D means one drink of beer and an S means one shot of the hard stuff. It seems you use something called Deep Rock Vodka. It costs $13 for a 750 milliliter bottle and it's made in Texas. Apparently it was god awful, but it's good for slurpees. Wait, they're telling us not only when to drink, but what to drink? Yeah. I don't like it. There's there's quite a few rules too. I'm too boozy to pay $13 for a handle of vodka. So, yeah. Anyway. Okay. So, uh, any beheading, it's two drinks, and apparently that would result in two to three beers. Well, there's 18 beheadings mm-hmm. in the movies. Okay. Yeah. Damn. Any mention of Sleepy Hollow by name, you're supposed to take a drink. Uh, okay. <laughs> I like this rule, and this is part of the reason why I picked this one. Any Johnny Depp weirdness, talk <laughs> among yourselves... As in, call it out when Ichabod Crane acts more like Jack Sparrow than Washington Irving ever intended. Then argue about whether it's, that's a good thing. This came out in 1999. When was the first Pirates movie? That is an excellent question. I want to say that wasn't until like 2000 something. I feel like this was before Pirates. I don't know when this was posted, so I don't know when they created this. Okay, so apparently you're supposed to take a hit when uh, it says, leave us, my dear, when old Van Tassel tells the tale of the Headless Horseman, drink if you want for beheadings and Walken's first cameo. Curse of the Black Pearl, which is the first movie, was 2003. Yeah. So this was 99, which means they were probably filming this like sometime between 96 and 98. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would assume that right after, unless he was like prepping for it at the same time. You know, to get it's into possible, care. but that's just very that's very strange for that rule. Yeah. They're making assumptions. You know what they say. About so when assumptions. you wa- when you watch Pirates of the Caribbean, 
take a drink anytime Jack Sparrow acts like Ichabod, Ichabod Crane. Okay, next rule is take a shot when walking is in a winter wonderland. So anytime you see, or the, the first time you see Christopher Walken in winter wonderland. Mm. Take a drink of beer whenever Crane takes a flaming pumpkin to the face. Take a drink whenever Crane gets sprayed, splattered, or slimed with anything. Uh, take a drink anytime you see the evil eye. The evil eye? Yeah, the um, what they refer to as the evil eye, the drawing. Oh, oh, the little symbol thing. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Take a hit as the two most attractive people in the film, a.k.a. Depp and Christina Ricci, play Spin the Cardinal. Okay. Take a shot the second time you see Walken in a winter wonderland. And finish your beer when the Headless Horseman gets his head back. And then they have other rules at the bottom. It says, our rules call for one drink at every sex scene, boob sighting, <laughs> jump scare, or death. But like, what if you don't jump? My main issue with this game is the fact that you have to consult the rules to figure out what it is you're supposed to do when something happens. Yeah, I feel like it should just be simple. This yeah. is a little convoluted. I want to go back to so our Canadian friends. Yeah, our drink when friends. You need to come up with something for Sleepy Hollow, please. The movie. So who read first? Uh, I actually listen to another audiobook this week because I was looking for it. I figured I was like, you know what? This might be on Kindle Unlimited. It it was like a dollar something on Kindle Unlimited. But then I saw 99 cent audiobook and it was only about an hour and a half. So I said, let's do it, right? I think it was another mistake. If everyone <laughs> listens, I, I did the audiobook when we did To All the Boys I've Loved Before and I it fucking wrecked me. I think this one I'm not angry about, but okay. It's an old man narrating it, and it really did almost put me to sleep a few times. <laughs> Half of it I listened to at work um, while I was doing stuff, and I, I've never like felt like I ever needed to fall asleep at my desk before in my office, but this time I was like, oh, God, I, my eyes are so heavy. And then I listened to it, the rest of it on the way home while I was driving, and I again had the, oh, yeah, my eyes are so heavy. So I I think it was a mistake. I honestly don't even remember what he was talking about. And I know I've read this short story a lot. So like I know the premise of it, but I wanted to be better schooled for this episode. So I actually went onto Cliff Notes and just like checkmarked everything. I was like, okay, yeah, I remember that. All right, right. Just to see if there was anything I missed. So I'm good. I'm Gucci on that. But yeah, it was the audiobook was published um February 1st, 2006 by Lib Lib LibriVox? Lib LibriVox? I want to say it's library. It'll put you to sleep. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's on HBO right now. If you have, if you subscribe to HBO Max, it's available there. So that's where we watched it. Jackie? Yeah, I watched HBO Max and then I read Kindle. Obviously, it was published September 24th, 2018. And it was just this big, like, in bold, all caps in parentheses after uh, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. It said annotated version. And uh, having gone to school for history, I know what annotated works are supposed to look like. Yeah. This was just some rambling paragraphs after the story and honestly it sounded like something that was not originally written in english uh, and oh. then just put into google translate and then copied and pasted over from there 
And it was just somebody's, it, it honestly sounded like somebody's, uh, their takeaway from having read the book. Got it. Yeah. It was a really long review. That's what it was. So this week we read The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. It is a short story written by Washington Irving. He's an American author. It was first published in 1820, and it is categorized under the gothic fiction genre. If you go to Goodreads, this is a synopsis you're going to get. The quiet Dutch community of Sleepy Hollow lay in the Adirondack Mountains on the western shore of the mighty Hudson River in America's colonial period. The solitude of the woods was breathtaking, and not even a schoolmaster was immune from the eerie miaz- miasma which everyone knew permeated the dense forest. Written in 1820, Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow has become a classic of American literature and has been retold in many different ways. So Sleepy Hollow is actually a real-life place. It, it exists. It's in Westchester County. Westchester. <laughs> Westchester. Westchester County in New York. When I was in high school, during around this time, this was like the thing to do was to drive up there and drive there's a long road that they call the sleepy hollow drive um and it's there's like no lights on it it's like a one like a one lane road you go down it's just got all bushes and shrubbery it looks fucking creepy at night but i've done that several times you're supposed to go over there and go at night and people say yeah you'll see him i've never seen him just i'm just putting it out there i'm not a non-believer i'm just letting you know i feel cheated because i never saw the headless horseman but it is, it's Westchester, Westchester County, which is just north of Manhattan, like right over the bridge there. So it's not like upstate New York. It's still technically New York. <laughs> so Washington Irving, the author, he lived in Terrytown, which is nearby. So he's not even from that area. He's from like a neighboring city. Interesting fact about this story, though, is that the, the characters in it are actually based off of real people. Some of them are like uh aggregates of like a couple people or like the name is from a real person but the personality is from a different one so ichabod crane was an actual human being with that name who irving served with during the war of 1812 but the personality of him he took from a school teacher named jesse merwin and he was from kinderhook new york so he had like a personal relationship with him so I think this is funny when authors do this, and they and I think a lot of authors do. It's just easier when you're basing personalities or characteristics or names off of real people. But this dude literally took, like, a whole town of people and just wrote them into a story, but, like, sort of shuffled the characteristics and the names around. So he's like, it's not based on you. Like, you don't act <laughs> like this. Like, dude, you just gave, like, Jackie my name and, and my name Jackie. Like, what, what are you talking about? That's essentially <laughs> what he did. Um, <laughs> I did some digging into this as well because while I was reading this, Headless Horseman, that's like a huge deal uh, in, in American folklore, in anything to do with Halloween. If you go to Disney on Halloween, like Jackie and I have, and you do the not-so-spooky Halloween party, the Headless Horseman is the one that leads off the parade. Mm-hmm. He is a big deal. Disney actually, I think, what, 1948 or 50, they actually did the Legend of Sleepy Hollow it's like a an animated short film yep. for it, which is a lot of people say is actually very accurate to the adaptation or to the book, I should say. Yeah. So I did some digging into this. It's actually a um, Irish folklore, like 1500 years ago. It actually goes back like really, really, really far. 
it's not for certain. I mean, there, there might be a historian out there that actually knows this, but the digging that I did is like they think that it was an Irish king back in the day and the Headless Horseman was like a deity that they prayed to. But then through European generations, it came down and then it sort of translated into this. But the Headless Horseman for this story is actually based on a, a Hessian soldier. Um, one of the mercenaries that were hired by King George to fight during uh, the Amer- the Revolutionary War. So the fight against the Americans. And how he lost his head, per the story, the records, is that he was decapitated by a cannonball during uh, the Battle of White Plains, which is in New York. So Washington Irving's story of the Headless Horseman, his version is based off that. But the idea of this Headless Horseman coming to enact vengeance is uh, goes all the way back to Irish folklore. I just thought it was pretty cool. Who would have thunk? Who, Who would have thunk, thunk it? IMDb five words or less. <laughs> Again, more than five words. What what are they doing? <laughs> Ichabod Crane is sent to Sleepy Hollow to investigate the decapitations of three people, with the culprit being the legendary apparition, the Headless Horseman. Period. Fin. <laughs> fin. It was directed by Tim Burton, who is a former Disney animator. Uh, I don't know if you know this about me and Mel, but we're we're kind of obsessed. I was just there last week. <laughs> and also known for Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands, which he also paired with Johnny Depp on Edward Scissorhands. Uh, Johnny Depp plays the title character in that movie. Mr. Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> they do weird together very, very well. And it was rated R. Mel and I actually had a discussion about this, and we were kind of surprised yeah it was shocking yeah it did win an oscar for best art set direction okay the budget was uh right around 100 million um opening weekend it made just over 30 million and worldwide ended up grossing just over 206 million so it at least doubled its money what's interesting is it actually released november 1st yeah it was not build as a halloween Halloween movie yeah which i think maybe if it was it might have done better probably i just think like after halloween once you go to bed that night everyone wakes up the next morning like all right it's time to get ready for thanksgiving and christmas you know (laughs) yeah or if you're disney it's actually time to get ready for christmas yeah yes thanksgiving (laughs) october october 31st halloween decorations come down christmas decorations go up yeah So uh, through research, uh, we found that the opening scene is the only one actually filmed near the location of Sleepy Hollow. The majority of it was done in England on sound stages. They built an actual small town of Sleepy Hollow, complete with like rooms in buildings, floors, stairs, everything. And it was all dismantled after filming was completed. It seems kind of wasteful. It does, doesn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I looked, I think it said it took them three weeks. They went in, like, and just built a whole, they basically built a village. Yeah. Because everything was to size and functional. So, I mean, I probably, it probably didn't have plumbing or anything, obviously. But doors, stairs, windows, it had all that, and it was the full village. Like, that's a lot. 
that's impressive. That's probably why it costs so much. A hundred million in 1999 for a movie. Yeah. Wow. It, it's not shocking though, given what the sets looked like, mm-hmm. because Tim Burton in classic Tim Burton fashion made things kind of fantastical. Oh yeah, absolutely. Never anything that you would actually see in the real world. So it's not like they could find a location and just like change a few things to, to yeah. let it stand in. They wanted to film it in Sleepy Hollow. That's why the opening scene is like, we got to do something here. Because mm-hmm. that was the initial intent when I was I was reading up on this. They wanted to film it all in Sleepy Hollow, but like they got to Westchester and they were like, this is just not doing it for us. <laughs> like we can't, What the vibe that Tim Burton is trying to get is just not working in Westchester. Yeah. So they're like, let's go back to England on a sound <laughs> stage. We want some cobblestone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And another fun, fun fact is that this is the first adaptation of the story that doesn't involve the actor playing the Headless Horseman having to conceal his head in a cloak. The CGI technology had advanced so much that they were able to put some weird blue mask over poor Christopher Walken's head and, you know, erase his head. Yeah, and actually, I don't even think it was Christopher Walken that was... Uh, playing the actual Headless Horseman. I think all mm-hmm. his scenes are just him on the horse or with his head. Mm-hmm. But it's funny, they didn't have to do that, but then remember the scene with Brom when they were mm-hmm. playing the trick on him? They actually still included the fact, that, like the cloak over the head thing. So even though they didn't have to, it was still in the movie. <laughs> Can you imagine if it was done now? With the advancements even since 1999, it would be crazy. Oh, I know. We yeah. wouldn't even need anybody on a horse. It would just all be CGI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every every last person. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. <laughs> but like there would be actors behind it. It would just be like Avatar. Yeah. That's what we're going to go to is that everything's just CGI, but there are still actors behind it. They're yeah. just wearing the like stupid bl- green <laughs> suit with the balls on it. <laughs> every last every last person would be played by Andy Serkis. <laughs> Precious. <laughs> I mean, he does it so well. So he you know. really does. Yeah. And we just talked about this earlier about the decapitations. This is amazing. There are eighteen total in this movie. Where in the story, I don't even think there's one. No, there isn't. There, I mean, <laughs> unless you, pumpkin. Yeah, unless you talk about. The like who they're basing it off of the soldier got decapitated by the cannonball. Like if you count that as a decapitation, I mean, there's one in the story, but really there's no to date present time decapitations happening. Yeah. But the movie's like, hold my beer. Maybe that's where the, um, uh, whatchamacallit, the TV series got, was inspired, where it got its inspiration from, because there's, there's some decapitations in that, and the Headless Horseman definitely carries around an axe. Yeah. You know, Steven was watching that. I totally forgot about that show. He liked it. Mm-hmm. But Steven always likes those stupid-ass shows that always get canceled. I liked it at the beginning. It just got really, really weird and convoluted. And then there was, like, stuff that had to do with Apocalypse and, and oh. the Four Horsemen of the yeah. Apocalypse and the End of Times and stuff like that. I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I just wanted to just... I just wanted to highlight. He was kind of cute, too, the actor. Yeah. That wasn't it. Yeah. But Steven, mm-hmm. that's why today, like, when shows start, he's like, I don't really want to start this show because it's just going to get canceled. So he does that thing where he's like, I'm going to wait until like three seasons are out. And I go, no, because that's the problem. Because if everyone's doing that, then they think that it doesn't have an audience. 
and they're not going to mm-hmm. extend it. Same thing with books, guys. If you like a book series, buy the books or read the books when they come out. Because if you're like, no, I'm going to wait till the series is finished, that series is going to be finished a lot sooner than that author intended. Yeah. Just read the book. Yep. It's fine. You got nothing better to do. No, I'm just fucking. <laughs> All right. Reviews. And you know, Jackie, we got another classic here. So I went into Goodreads. So not only do we have a 19th century classic, it's also a short story. And it was very clear that the people reviewing this on Goodreads were just completely lost. They had no (laughs) idea what they were doing. And another thing, some of these fucking reviews were longer than the story. I'm not even exaggerating. When I write a Goodreads review, I make mine short, concise, but like enough detail so you can get a feel for it as a reader. But when I see these reviews, and don't get me wrong, some of them are funny when you get the gifts and everything in there. I respect it. But some of you just go to town and you're basically retelling the story. Stop. That's not (laughs) the point of a review. This is not your like compare and contrast research paper on the book. Stop, please. So out of five stars on Goodreads, it's got a 3.71. And that's about 68,000 ratings. 4.8 thousand of those fuckers actually wrote reviews and about 4.7 of those were longer than the goddamn story (laughs) but i really think this is where we go back to that i've said it before i'm going to say it again some of y'all when it comes to controversial stories or books or like the your insert some sort of adjective or noun if you don't like this give it a four or classic literature, y'all give it a four. You don't want to give it a five because you know you didn't like it, but you don't want to give it a three because you don't want people to misconstrue that as that you're critiquing it or that you didn't like it. So this one, the highest percentage, again, was four out of five, and it was 34%. Where the one star, there's a few ballsy ones of you. There's 1% of you that were like, fuck this book or this story, one star. So I'm going to... That's for you. Clap, clap, clap. That you were like, fuck it, one star. I don't give a damn. But all right. Five out of five. This one, I have to read it backwards because it's actually three reviews because this person read the book, the short story three times and came back to Goodreads to let us know each time that they read it. 2017, this journey begins. First read. The audiobook for this was only an hour long, so I blasted through it this morning at work. It didn't disappoint, especially for someone who grew up loving the 1949 animated adaptation. That's Disney. Mm -hmm. The ambience was perfect. The rain outside, me with hot apple cider, and this lufferly, I don't know what the fuck that means, (laughs) audiobook coming through my speakers. Perfect morning. Okay. 2018, reread. Just as good as the first time around, I have a feeling this will become a yearly read-listen. Okay. Uh, They obviously didn't stick to that, or if they did, they didn't let us know, because the next one's not till 2021. COVID. Got it. Reread. Robertson Dean's narration remains unparalleled. Another rainy October morning with a pumpkin spice latte this time. That's the review. So really what they're saying is, I am in a very comfortable environment right now, and I'm enjoying this. There's actually no talk of the story whatsoever. It's just the guy's voice, the fact that they have some sort of Starbucks concoction, it's autumn, 
and it's like a cozy atmosphere. That's what their review is. I want you people, and by you people, I mean anyone that's listening to this, all six of you, to understand (laughs) that when you go and review something, I want to know about the goddamn story, okay? Not about what you're drinking. If If it's relative, you can add it in there. Like if it's relevant, I should say. If it's relevant, you can add it in there. But that should not be what your review is. Like, oh my God, this apple cider and it's raining. Amazing five stars. Please don't do that. Do better. <laughs> three stars, three out of five. In the title, they go, three stars. We know you, you, it shows the stars right there. But they had the all caps, three stars, exclamation point. I thought I would like The Legend of Sleepy Hollow more, but that wasn't the case. This old tale of a headless rider was just okay, in my opinion. I think my expectations were way too high. So this is somebody who came to it after they've seen a movie or an adaptation or watched the Disney short film. So again, we have this perception that the story is something that it's not. And I argued this while we were doing Little Women, where so many people don't even understand what the story is. They just have this misconstrued conception of it from the adaptations. That's why I really do love that Stephen King quote where he's like, I don't judge my book based on the movie. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) one out of five oh actually hold on so for this review a couple things one washington irving spent so much time describing sleepy hollow and the countryside that when the spook factor finally showed up in the last third of the book it didn't really scare me two I wasn't creeped out or scared at any time while reading this I still like the concept of the story of a headless writer but that's about it So on this one, I think people actually don't realize that this story wasn't meant to be spooky or scary. It's actually a political satire. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't don't know that. So I'm sorry if I burst into your bubble. It's it's a political cultural satire. The author is making fun of the people that live in this area. (laughs) (laughs) One, uh, three, I should say, three. Yes, and I'm glad I read The Legend of Sleepy Hollow to check it off my list of classics. I don't regret reading it. Okay. I feel like I missed some of that. And he goes, I did like that it ended with a big question of what really happened to Ichabod Crane. Was it really the Headless Horseman or was it Ichabod's rival doing a prank on him? And I think you get that uh, there's like an epilogue. Did yours have an epilogue in it? Hmm no not that i know of so i I believe um later on he released like an epilogue to the story which kind of shows ichabod crane alive and well but like later on he's in a new area working oh um mine at the end of the story it talks about how uh some of the people in the town talked about how he moved on to like across the country or something like that Yeah, yeah yeah something like that all right best ones one out of five. First one one star did anything happen other than the cataloging of buxom lasses and cakes? <laughs> this one I read and I go, I felt that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just, last one, one out of five. I don't read a lot of classics. I keep thinking I want to, and this seemed like a good one to read around Halloween. Unfortunately, this has put me off reading others. Way too much description and explanation and very little action. Boring. Literally nothing happened. Nothing in future, I'll stick to the Burton film. Much more exciting and an actual storyline. Well, yes, the, he's, this review is absolutely correct because this is literary fiction. It's entirely 
character based. There usually is not an exciting plot that happens. And this is just, you get a ton of exposition in 19th century literature. So you're, you're not wrong, mm-hmm. but it's also not the point, but yeah. Okay. Hi, MDB user reviews. So I would just like to give this little caveat before I get into these reviews, but the reviews that I read for this movie were by far the most confusing <laughs> and actually made me doubt myself, <laughs> especially when I got to one and this person's talking about Helena Bonham Carter, like she was actually in the movie. She's not, are they like confusing this with Sweeney Todd or something? I think so. <laughs> I actually had to go through the cast list again just to make sure that I wasn't being crazy. There was another one that was a 7 out of 10, but the text made it seem like it should have been a 10 out of 10. They're like, this was absolutely amazing. Me and my family so love this movie. 7 out of 10. Okay. <laughs> oh my God, love is amazing. 7, I'm not giving yeah. it a 10. Go fuck yourself. And then, and then all the lower ratings were so rife with grammar and spelling errors. I just thought that the people were so enraged that they couldn't like keep a grasp of the English language. <laughs> They're in the theater, like were, typing it yeah. out on their phone. <laughs> uh, it on IMDb, it has a seven point three out of ten, uh, and that's with uh, just about three hundred and sixty-six thousand ratings, and uh, a thousand of those decided to actually write a review. Yeah, okay, t- ten out of ten. Amazing, but kind of reminds me of Mortal Kombat. That was what? the title. What? Yes. Okay. How? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Continue. I'm listening. It was interesting to play detective trying to figure out who was this controlling all these deaths that were happening in the small incestuous village. All the while, we're looking through the eyes of a detective and forensics on his first mission, Johnny Depp. <laughs> that was it. What does it mean? It does not go into, in any way, shape, or form, how the movie reminded them of Mortal Kombat. Maybe it's like all the deaths in it, like the decapitation, it was violent? I I don't know. Okay, whatever. Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. I have so many questions. 7 out of 10, Sleepy Johnny. Johnny Depp does his best passing out, quote unquote, in this movie. It's from fright not drinking as it was in Pirates of the Caribbean series. LOL. I love his acting, not the man himself. He's very entertaining on screen. (laughs) I just want to make sure everyone understands I do not like him. As a person. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, dude. Uh, Another 7 out of 10. Good work. This movie is a competent portraying of an existing story. Not much more. It's wonderful for the moment, almost until you leave the cinema. Then it's over. And even though it's good work, you'll never go and see it again, since that's the only thing that's special about it. But I guess that this is probably the best version of the story for the cinemas. (laughs) And then two slightly longer reviews. This is one where I found that the lower ranked reviews were longer than the higher ranked reviews they're just so angry uh one out of ten an honest review well it has a great cast and they all do a great job but it's really tim declaring to the world that he is too lazy to read again much like he was with batman and absolutely every other adaptation that he's made I had a girlfriend when I was an undergrad that absolutely, totally loved a lot of books. 
but only ever actually read The Mists of Avalon. She wasn't an art major, too. So it turns into Tim Burton artistically reinterpreting something that he has never read and thus really doesn't know how to interpret in the first place. I don't understand what his undergrad girlfriend has to do with that. But when I was under the absolute total... Oh, okay. Okay. And this final one is a one out of ten. And this is a partial... The other paragraph was twice as long as this paragraph. Washington Irving would roll in his grave. In and of itself, the movie is well done. Tim Burton chalks up another point for his visual imagery and all of the action actors do their job well, particularly Depp, Walken, and Ricci. The only problem that remains is that, again, a studio has taken a masterful story and butchered it into a more gruesome, bloody, and different story than it was back when Washington Irving first scribed it. Finding a copy of Irving's original text is not difficult. I urge everyone who has seen this movie to read the work and then make up your mind. So this person in their first paragraph goes on and on and on about how they're actually from Sleepy Hollow and they've read the story every year since like they could put two letters together to make a word and how the this movie is absolutely nothing like the original and even says at one point that johnny depp's portrayal of crane is quote reminiscent of a van damme or stallone type action hero i don't know where they get that because no ichabod crane in this is like a a a pussy (laughs) like can we just be honest about it he's like a spider He faints at the sight of blood. I think he faints five or six times. It's something about like having the most faints in a movie as well. Yeah. Yeah, he's ridiculous. So let's talk about this for real quick. Our question at the beginning was, what makes a good adaptation? And I was doing some reading and we were, well, we were both researching this and I actually listened to another podcast and they were arguing this. And the one said, I believe what makes a good adaptation is when you have a creator... So a director, writer, artist, whatever, that is taking the original source material, finding what they enjoy about it. So they're latching onto something and then recreating that or um, conveying that in a new medium. Mm -hmm. So the argument for this one is like, yes, it is different than the story. It has the same foundation. So we consider it an adaptation and not a retelling per se. So that's that whole inspired by based on. So they're saying that Tim Burton approached this as Tim Burton would approach anything. What Mm -hmm. is the spooky essence in this? What is the dark side, the fantastical side, like Jackie said, that I can pull out of this and run with it? So... It's still the adaptation. You have the same name, you have the same place, same setting, same like tangential storyline. It's just there are changes. So, mm-hmm. and honestly, I really think if you adapted this story verbatim, it would be really fucking boring. We just did yeah. an episode on this where the adaptation did exactly that. It was like word for word that was in the book and it was the most boring piece of garbage I think we've ever done <laughs> on this podcast. So Tim Burton took something and still paid homage to the original artist being Washington Irving and took the essence of that because while it's spooky and it's made more into a Halloween story, I think there's still that 
um, satire there mm-hmm. that Tim Burton is, is known for, like that he has that sort of like undertone of some sort of message in his stories and his art. So I'm not going to argue either way, but I do appreciate Tim Burton. And I think he kept as much as he could whole and then added in some stuff, which is about what we're about to get into. Mm-hmm. So eh, just depends on what side of that argument you stand on. And then you can go from there. All right, casting. I think a lot of <laughs> casting seemed to be a big thing during the reviews of this. One of those being Johnny Depp. So let's think about this. He just worked with Tim Burton for Edward Scissorhand. It was a huge hit of success. And honestly, I would say that's probably one of my fav- most favorite Tim Burton films, Edward Scissorhands. Mm-hmm. It's just so weird, but it's also like so beautiful at the same time. One of my favorite films. And Johnny Depp fucking killed it. All right. Next favorite Tim Burton film would be Beetlejuice. The two of them Mm -hmm. up there. Michael Keaton wasn't the right fit for this. He called in Johnny Depp. He wanted the younger one because you needed that like. And do you know Michael Keaton was still kind of young at this time. Um, But Johnny Depp came in. He has a relationship with Tim Burton. He trusts him. Here's the difference. In the story, Ichabod Crane is supposed to be like tall and ugly and lanky. Like a scarecrow, I think they describe him as mm-hmm. tim burton was like nah i don't know I don't, I don't really need that but john depp actually came to set and he's like i can wear like prosthetics like i we can we can do the ugly and tim burton's like no 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 i don't want the ugly because i think they really wanted to play on the love story side yeah. of this which isn't really a big thing in the short story because it's more of ichabod crane just trying to like trick her <laughs> for her money so there's really no romance so we get Johnny Depp as his beautiful self during that time because in the 90s, you know, he wasn't crazy yet. He was still running the Viper, right? Is that what that bar was? Mm, the yeah, Viper Room. The, the Viper yeah. Room. Katrina Van Tassel is played by Christri- Christina Ricci. Everyone should know her. Wednesday Adams. She's actually in the new Wednesday on Netflix as well, but not playing Ad- not playing Wednesday Adams. She's just in it. Funny thing. She was actually uh, the character that is Katrina. It was initially offered to Winona Ryder. And Winona turned it down because her and Johnny Depp were dating at the time. And then Johnny Depp oh. actually had an issue. Not like a, like a, he wasn't fighting it, but he had a problem when they casted Christina Ricci because he had just done a movie with her several years ago. I forget. I actually forget the name of it now. But he's known her since she's been a child. He's done work with her when she was like eight years old. So he was like, this is, I, he's like, I just, this is, I feel weird. Cause it's supposed to be like sexual tension and romance. And she's yeah. all there like with the, the bustier thing, the corset pushing her boobs up. And he's like, I just, it doesn't feel right. Which I kind of respect the fact Johnny Depp's like, but she's like a baby. Yeah. I don't, all right. <laughs> Do you think Winona Ryder would have been better or do you think Christina Ricci was the right fit? I think Christina Ricci was the right fit because I don't think Winona Ryder can play that kind of doe-eyed. Even though, I mean, she's got other stuff going on. The character, Christina Van Tassel in the movie, she's got other stuff going on. She's not wholly, entirely innocent. Yeah. But... The way she played that role, I think it's it's suited to the character. 
And I don't think Winona Ryder, I, I think, I think of Winona Ryder and I think of what's the movie that she did with Ethan Hawke. When I think of her, I'm thinking of Beetlejuice. I'm thinking of Edward Scissorhands. I'm thinking of Girl Interrupted. Thinking of Stranger Things. Where each one of those characters... Well, actually, so the character that she played in Edward Scissorhands, I think, is similar. Possibly, but I mean, that was one one role out of many. Yeah, yeah. Because the most recent role she would have done here, I believe, is Beetlejuice. Yeah, and that she was this super jaded goth yeah. girl. Yeah, so I think Christina, I I think Christina Ricci is right when she got those big ass eyes, and mm-hmm. they even look bigger because she got no eyebrows in this for some reason. I don't yeah. know why they bleached her eyebrows <laughs> like that. She does have eyebrows; they just bleached it. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, new character. Not that she's new in the sense that she doesn't exist, but she's a big character in the movie. Is Lady Van Tassel, who is Katrina's stepmother. She comes in and marries mm-hmm. her dad. She's played by Miranda Richardson. She was Emily Brent in And Then There Were None, mm-hmm. a previous episode we've done on here. She was awesome in that. And then Rita Skeeter from uh, Harry Potter. That's also her. Brom Van Brunt, these fucking names, is Casper <laughs> Van Dien, who's just gorgeous. But he's like, I, okay, I look at him and I go, I know you're gorgeous, but I'm not attracted to him. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not either. Okay. So, but you look at him and you go, objectively, you go, I know you're attractive. Okay. Yep. All right. So we're on the same page. I look, I'm like, I know you're attractive, but mm. would I kick him out of bed? I don't know. One of the reviews that I read that I didn't include, obviously, because this is the first time I'm bringing it up, but the person said the movie was great, especially Casper. He brought so much to the film. Casper was just amazing. So this person clearly had posters of Casper Van Dien in yeah. all over their room. And I mean, he was all right. No, nobody else existed in the movie. If any of you out there, and I know there are some of you, because there's a lot of youngsters that listen to us. And by youngsters, I mean you're like in your 20s. You're fine. You're living your prime. We love you. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Live your best life, boo-boos. But you probably might not have seen this. But if you've ever watched Starship Troopers, or maybe from here, go ahead and watch it. We might even do an episode on it one day because, believe it or not, this ridiculous shit show of a movie is actually based on a book. Mm-hmm. Starship Troopers, he is Johnny Rico. And the only reason I know that is because that is one of Steven's favorite movies. And when he really wants to be an asshole, that's the movie he puts on. <laughs> when he's when he's being like nice, and don't get me wrong, Steven is absolutely an angel. But <laughs> when it comes to us fighting for the TV remote at bed, because I don't like the TV on, Jackie knows this. But he has he like he believes he has to have something on, even though he will fall asleep literally in three minutes. If it's a good night where he's not trying to cause a fight, it's usually like Matrix, John Wick, or like Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, interchangeable, right? It's like one of those where he'll just turn it down. I've seen it enough where I can kind of tune it out. But if he wants to be the absolute epitome of an asshole, Starship Troopers is what he puts on. And I can't fucking stand it. But that's Johnny Rico is Casper Van Dien. So he is a beautiful man. Well, but. Well, I'm sure he still is. They're all older. This is 1999. It was like 30 years ago, some bullshit like that. Or maybe not. It's not that long, but it's a while. He gained 30 pounds for this. I think that's why I didn't recognize him at first. Like, not like when I'm talking recognize him first, I mean like a split second. I was like, oh, oh shit, that's Casper Vendee. Got it. 
but his face is like a little pudgy. I found this during oh. the research. 30, why? You're not even that big of a character in the story. No. 30 pounds. Goddamn. <laughs> then the Hessian horseman or the headless horseman is played by Christopher Walken. None other. And if you don't know who he is, I don't know what I can do for you. All I can say <laughs> is more cowbell. Yeah. <laughs> While I was filling all this out, I learned that he came to the set really nervous and he was talking to Tim Burton. He's like, I don't know how to ride a horse. <laughs> Apparently he got over that because he did get up on a horse. I don't know if, how much he's riding it. I forget, but it all worked itself out. This is the best part about this, though. He is one of the top listed actors. Like when you look at the credits, if it doesn't say um, listed in order of appearance, when you're looking when the like the credits roll up, it'll say like in order of appearance, or it'll just say cast and start scrolling. If it just says cast, like this movie does, the top person there is the top billed actor. And then it goes on. And there's certain things in there where it says end and whatever. Christopher Walken is like, I believe he's one of the top three in casting. (laughs) He does not say a single word in this movie. He does not have any lines. He has some growling and some grunting and some... (gasps) That's it. Do you know that if you're an extra on a set, like you don't even get casted if you don't say a word. (laughs) If you don't talk move your mouth for anything or make some sort of noise, you don't get casted. You're you're uncredited, right? In the in the credits. Christopher Walken does not say a single word in this entire film. One of the top three build actors in this movie. I just think that's amazing. That's what Christopher Walken could do. He could just show up to a set and be like, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's how he gets through life though. He's like, just says that and then goes some more cowbell and he's good. Mm-hmm. All right. Last one for casting it added. It's just for like an honorary mention. And that is the notary Hardin Brooks. So if you're watching it and he looks like he has a fucking mullet. <laughs> Do you remember that? And he's got like the one milky eye. Yeah. He is played by Michael Go? Goo? Go. Or Goff. Goff. Michael Goff. I think it's Michael Goff actually. Right. He came out of retirement for these films and if you look at his imdb the only movies that he's done are involved tim burton really yes and if you're unsure of who he is he's an older actor obviously he went into retirement but if you watch any of the tim burton batman movies he's alfred oh yeah and he came out of retirement just to do this because tim burton asked him and if you go to his imdb page anything that he's done within the last about 30 years has only been with Tim Burton. The meat of this show, like why we do this, why the why the reason we put ourselves through this every week is so we can come here and tell you what's really going on in the book, or in this case, a short story and the movie. Sometimes it's a show, you know, whatever. And we, t- we talk about it, you know, like does it make a difference that it's different? Does it matter that it's the same? Blah, blah, blah. But before we do that, I have to make one note. Something that kept popping out, and I no pun intended really, or maybe it is intended, but the m- amount of cleavage that's in this movie, like on its own, I think would have warranted the R rating. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a prude by any means, but the amount of just like breasts in my face, not no nipple, but like, I, 
the way that these corsets and these outfits were designed, they literally looked like they were one sneeze away from just like, you know, like uh, Janet Jackson mm-hmm. at the Super Bowl. Like it, it was there. Yeah. And then it was just all this like movement where they were just like busted, like arching their backs and their breasts are out. And I'm going, why? And then what it made it really uncomfortable is the scenes between when Ichabod Crane's a, a kid with his mom and it almost looks like the front of her shit is just open. Yeah. Really weird. To the point, actually, before, I mean, I'm talking like the first 15 seconds of these scenes. I was like, is this some weird pedophile shit? Like, I'm not down. I'm not down for this. If this is weird, some sort of incest thing, like, I don't want to do it at all. And I was about to shut it off and text Jackie. And I was like, oh, no, it's just, she's just being weird. She's just, I guess this is how Tim Burton conveys that she's a witch. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I didn't know what to make of all of that. But it's not just me, right? No, it's not. There's a lot of boobs. It was way too much. All over the place. And actually, during my research, I I looked a little bit deeper into this because I was like, why? Is this really how they dress? There's no fucking way. Because these are the Dutch. These are like descendants from the Puritans that are there. There's no fucking way they're dressing like this. And actually, a major criticism that Tim Burton's adaptation has is that the costuming is actually... Uh, more reminiscent of the 19th century wear in that area than 18th century. Because this is supposed to be Mm -hmm. like late 1700s. And what they have on uh, a lot of historians are saying like that fashion wasn't in play and didn't come out until like after the turn of the century. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go back to they probably weren't showing that much boob. No. And then even turn of the century, probably still not showing that much boob. No, because, I mean, look at, well, that was later on, after Civil War, during and after Civil War. But when we were watching Little Women, yeah. they were they were dressed up to their necks. Yeah, and I also later. just feel like a society that doesn't want to see your ankles also doesn't want to see that much <laughs> boob. <laughs> just going to draw a parallel there. I didn't live yeah. the time. I don't know. I can't say for certain, but I'm just going to make an, an educated guess. Yeah. All right. First thing, Ichabod Crane. We talked a little bit about this. Um, the way he's portrayed, obviously, Johnny Depp is not super tall and skinny and lanky and ugly, depending, you know, like if you don't like him, that's fine. But I think we can all objectively agree that he is on the attractive side of the male appearance spectrum. Yes. Okay. There we go. What's similar, though, is they have Ichabod Crane being the outsider from this town. Which is true. In the book, he's coming from Connecticut. He's a schoolmaster. He comes over from a town in Connecticut, comes to Sleepy Hollow, which is in New York, blah, 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 blah. In the movie, he is changed from that schoolmaster to a constable. So you're getting now this Weasley, skinny, scarecrowy, ugly schoolmaster from Connecticut who is just fantasizing about cheating Katrina out of all of her money and selling her farm to a more charming, excitable constable from New York that has all these grand ideas about forensics. Um, and he's brought into uh, he, New York meeting Manhattan. He's brought into Sleepy Hollow, which is just a county over to investigate a string of murders. Sleepy Hollow. So same thing, outsider coming in, who just plays a little bit different. Uh, one of the reviews, I just remembered this, um, they said that their major complaint was that Ichabod was now some kind of steampunk forensics expert. 
And that that is the feel that that's what I get from it, like with all the goggles and stuff like that, that he puts on. And that is, it's true. Yeah. And I think Tim Burton is probably like a steampunk aficionado at heart because of all his little, he loves the trinkets. Like it's like a thing mm-hmm. with him. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't mind it because I'm thinking the way they're, the story that they're trying to go with where they're focusing more on the headless uh, horseman. Mm-hmm. You have to f- you have to build your characters around that if that's what the story is going to be, and people have to understand that the story of Sleepy Hollow is not about the headless horseman. What's actually happening is the elders there are telling Ichabod Crane, an outsider, all of their sort of legends and myths and folklore of this area because they're coming over. They're Dutch settlers, and they're giving him all this backstory, right? So. And then Ichabod Crane has a really sort of active imagination. So that's where you get the ending. Like, is he imagining this? Is it really happening? Was it just Brahm that was fucking with him? Or was it really the Headless Horseman? Like, what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the story's more based on him sort of integrating himself into this community. And then how is he going to, again, cheat Katrina out of her money and yeah. establish himself? That's the story. That's not as sexy as a ghost that's just plowing down a whole village, right? So Tim Burton's like, how do we fit Ichabod Crane into that? Because if you have him coming and being this sort of like ridiculous schoolmaster, it's hard to tie that storyline of him cheating Katrina out of her money into hunting down the this apparition. So I don't know. What do you think? Like, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it either because honestly... Uh I mean, like you said at the beginning, the whole story is, is, it's a satire. It's, that's what it's meant to be. Because all the story is, is Ichabod trying to ingrain himself into the society. Mm -hmm. And then he claims he falls in love with Katrina, but really he falls in love with her money and her possessions. And it's something that he wants. This, like, if, if you're talking about Sleepy Hollow, the first thing that usually pops into people's mind is the Headless Horseman. Yeah. Not Ichabod Crane or anything like that. It's the Headless Horseman. So making a story around that and actually explaining it and giving it a reason to be there. Yeah. I think is a, is a lot better. Yeah, and I think it's a lot more inventive, creative, absolutely. And mm-hmm. this is, like... I think Jackie and I have really kind of honed in on this as we've been doing these episodes, especially with the classics, is that you have this game of telephone where the story just sort of changes and morphs based on the adaptations over time, where somebody who, if you ask, like, hey, what is Little Women about? I would say nine out of ten times you ask somebody on the street, they're going to know what Little Women is. They're not going to know who wrote it. They're probably not, definitely not going to know the author's name. They probably most likely have not read the book. They might not have even seen any of the movies, but they know enough about it to give you like a general summary. But it's always going to be, oh, you have these uh, sisters and they're living and there's like a love story. And then the one sister's trying to write a book and that like that's that's the story. When in reality, those are two very, very minor parts Mm -hmm. of the actual story. The story itself focuses a lot on the fact that the father has been injured during the war and them Mm -hmm. trying to like deal with that, but also dealing with money issues and dealing with like their self identity and the fact that one of their sisters is really ill. And like, there's so much more going in the story. It's not the romantic story of like, 
uh, literary feminism during the 19th century. That's not it at all. And that's enough shit talking about little women. (laughs) Okay. Second thing. Headless Horseman is still a fallen soldier. We have that Hessian soldier, right? During the Revolutionary War, um, the Germans were paid like mercenaries to come over. Still the same. Where they change it is, and this goes back to what Tim Burton was trying to do with the plot in the story here, was originally in the uh, Washington Irving story is he lost his head with a cannonball, which is the actually the true-ish story that Irving based this off of, is that the tale is the soldier was decapitated by a cannonball. And I believe if you go to Sleepy Hollow, there's the church is still standing. And I believe there's some headstones, not of the Headless Horseman, but there's some headstones of Hessian soldiers mm-hmm. there that were buried because obviously that not all of them were bad. Same thing, all wars across the board. Um, some of them were honored with burials because they actually helped the civilians there. Like they were pulling babies out of burning houses and stuff because they weren't there to, you know, kill women and children so there are hessian soldiers that have tombstones there so you can go and see it um but that's what the story is based off is the cannonball in the movie though there's a confrontation and christopher walken plays the character and it's something more like he's just he he kind of reminds me of the when we talk about like vlad the impaler Mm -hmm. where he's just so um like a caricature of the dude like he's just he's so dangerous he does this he's putting everyone's heads on spikes and and in reality i think like this dude was probably like five six and it's just maybe he was kind of loud you know like but like like as you go his story just becomes more grand so the way that christopher walken is he's he almost looks like he's part demon he's Mm -hmm. crazy out of his mind just taking out american fighters left and right so when they uh there's a confrontation in the woods where he's fighting solo against like a handful of the Americans or, or some sort of militia. And then what happens is they cut off his head with his own sword. And that's what we get like the, his spirit was trapped or something. And then the little girl stole the head. It, got, it gets very morbid from there. Very macabre. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, but I would say if you really want to know what's behind this, I, just watch the movie because I will not lie. I was a little lost on this plot line. I was like, wait, what? And then like the white witch and then the little girl and then like the dad. I was like, what is happening? How did we get here? I feel like it was just all sort of regurgitated in my face within like a 30 second monologue and I'm just supposed to understand. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I don't. I don't know. But yeah, Christopher Walken gets his head cut off with his own sword. And then for some reason, that's like, now he's, he's trapped. I don't know. I, this, all, this all assumes that we care what happens to our head after we die. Yeah, exactly. It's some sort, it, I don't know. It's, it's probably some sort of Christian allegory that's happening here where it's like, he can't rest at peace because the little girl ran off with his decapitated head. Like, I think there, yeah, I think there are some people that believe that you cannot go to heaven if you, your body is not whole. So they Mm -hmm. don't do autopsies. um, They won't be organ donors, uh, things like that. So remember that story we were talking about? Um, It's a true story. There's a book about her. Oh my God, what is her name? Uh, She was a a colored, a a woman of color during the 50s, I believe. She got cervical cancer. 
And oh yeah, she she unfortunately she died from the cervical cancer, but the doctors there had obviously taken like a biopsy and cells, and they realized she has a very rare condition or, or way that her cells are where her cells her cells can just keep like regenerating because usually mm-hmm. what they would do when they took biopsies is that they would do the test in the cells the cells would die and then they have to take a new test etc but with her cells they just kept regenerating so they have like this infinite amount of um samples and mm-hmm. then uh the name of this procedure and the medicine that came out is actually like essentially her name um but that's there's been lots of lawsuits after that because when they finally when it came out that this was a thing because her family had no idea they've been mm-hmm. suing because they have this belief they're like the fact that her cells are still used for this they her body's not whole and that she's not able to rest in peace mm-hmm. so it is a serious thing we're not we're not joking about it. it the movie is a little ridiculous but yes that is an actual concern where a lot of cultures and religions believe if your if your body is not whole when you're laid to rest then you can never cross over or fully be at peace so mm-hmm. we definitely respect that so in this case, he was not resting in peace because the little girl ran off with his cutoff head. Used him for vengeance. Then. Yeah, and then through some witchy stuff, she was able to control him. And that's why he's just... I think really what this plot line is, is it makes it convenient for the fact that how many times Ichabod Crane runs into him and he does not kill him, mm-hmm. meaning the Headless Horseman. Mm-hmm. because it seems like it's a one and done type deal with the headless horseman like if you come if you see him then it's over but ichabod crane has seen him a handful of times i think it's like twice before he even believes it's real yeah he's watched him kill people in front of him and he doesn't die because somebody is behind the headless horseman like a puppet master controlling him which is another thing I didn't understand because when we find out like who is controlling him and why we get into a convoluted story, she knew that Ichabod Crane was like onto it, right? She's because she mm-hmm. would confront him. Why wouldn't you just off him? Maybe it brings too much attention. But like, wouldn't it just be understandable? Like he's there. They think he's killing at random as it is. Ichabod mm-hmm. Crane just got in the way. He got too close, and bam, no head. His head's in the tr- trunk tree or tree trunk. <laughs> but, you know, we can't kill off the main character. We can't kill him off. He's the hero, no. right? Tim Burton's yeah. like, he's going to be all right. I do like the scene, though, where he he does stab him, the Headless Horseman. He stabs Ichabod Crane, so Johnny Depp, in the shoulder. And I'm like, shit. Oh, wow. We're going to, what what's, how's this going to work out? But really all he does is basically like skewers him and throws him over his shoulder with yep. the sword. And I was just thinking, I was like, Damn, that would do a lot of damage. <laughs> yeah. That, just that move. There's no way he's getting up from that. No. He's losing that arm. <laughs> but no, he just like in bed for like an hour and he was fine. <laughs> Attached to this next thing is the whole Lady Van Tassel's storyline. Basically, her whole thing. And I don't, I don't know what to say about it. I'm just going to go back to it doesn't make any fucking sense to me. She's like a displaced child and she's angry at the world. And for some reason that the Van Tassel's family is who did this. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. But for some reason, somehow she becomes an adult woman and seduces the father, the Mr. Van Tassel, whatever his name is, um, and somehow kills his wife 
And then she's now his wife. <laughs> I don't. I watched it once. I don't. Jackie, I don't know. <laughs> when you explain it like that, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> I like, she just, she's there and she's like, hey, and now your wife's think- dead. Marry me. Uh, maybe it was, maybe it was a, a woman scorn bingo or something. And they were just trying to see how many boxes they could get on the bingo board. But she's like angry at everybody. She's like fucking the minister in the woods and cutting. They're doing like blood play. I was like, what in the erotica is this? Like, I was like what is happening? There's some weird yeah. shit going on in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, I feel know. like it was just a bit excessive. Do you know that Tim Burton didn't want the R rating for this? And really? Yes. Yes. He's like, I don't want an R rating for this. I'm like, Tim, my man, what, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> and actually, further research, do you know the screenplay, they had to cut it down, or they had not cut it down, they had to lighten it, per se, because it was already well past that point. Like, the R was just the tipping point. Jeez. So they had to lighten up the screenplay. They're like, this is not going to fly. Like, dude, you came from Disney. I know you're trying to like create your own thing here, but I wonder if Disney came in at some point. Okay, this is just a conspiracy. I did not read this anywhere. Our Anything we say on this show means absolutely fuck all, okay? But Tim Burton was a big part of Disney. He was an anime, right? A lot of stuff comes out, has that, even though it's not, Disney has nothing to do with it. A lot of times Tim Burton and Disney are like go hand in hand Mm -hmm. and stuff that like Disney did not have a thing in. And you know how Disney is with their publicity. I wonder if there's some stuff where Tim Burton and then Disney gets wind of it. And then Disney comes in and goes, dude, no, you are not. No, we are not going to have a gangbang under this tree. (laughs) (laughs) You you can have a little bit of blood play, but that's it. There's got to be something. Yeah, there's not enough separation between the two just yet. Yeah, there's not. There's like your face, our face. It's just people see you, they think us, and we can't have that. We can't have that. We know this is a free country and there's a constitution, but no. <laughs> this well, is Disney World. I mean, it's clearly they still have a relationship. I mean, Frankenweenie yeah. and, and yes. uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, Disney's, yeah. I think Disney has their hand like straight down Tim Burton's front pocket the whole yeah. time. They're just like yeah. that possessive alpha male just holding on like, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, no, you're totally free. Everything is your choice. You can do whatever you want, but it better be within my fucking limits. Because you're still my bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> I have a feeling like Tim Burton had to do some dirty shit to be able to even get this R-rated movie out there. Under yeah. Disney's watch. Just saying, Probably. you know, anyway, this is just us talking drunk. We don't say anything. All right, next thing. Brom Bones' death. Now, Brom, who is played by Casper, he is like the rival love interest. And I don't even know why we say rival in the story because there really was no competition. Like, Katrina had no interest in Ichabod, like, at all. Oh, yeah. She was, her and Brom were going to be a thing. But like Brom is that super Chad back in the day where he's like, you, what, you want to go, bro? And Christina's just like, dude, I don't like him. I want nothing to do with him. He's like, no, but he's looking at you. I'm going to fuck him up. So it's the same sort of Chad Brom that we have in the movie. But it makes a bit more sense now because you have Johnny Depp, 
Mm-hmm. And he's kind of cute, and he's and he's you know energetic, and he's charming, and he's this outsider from Manhattan. So Brom, who gained thirty pounds, is like, I feel a little emasculated right now. I have to. We're gonna have a dick measuring contest right now. So th- that's where we have the love, like this rivalry. It's still very comical to me because anything men do on this sort of plane is just hysterical. It's funny. Brom doesn't die in the story at all there's no brutal death there's like there we don't even know if he really did play a trick on him at all we don't even know if brahm even like looked at him it's just implied but in Mm -hmm. this movie brahm they do play the trick the hellas horseman he knows about it but then later on during sort of the third act ichabob and brahm are like shoulder to shoulder they don't like each other but at this point, it's kind of like where you know it's you have to team up to fight this other worst enemy and we'll deal with each other later type deal. So they're sort of fighting the Hellas Horsemen together. And then I believe it's right after the Hellas Horseman skewers Ichabob and throws him over his shoulder um, with the sword, which apparently all that did was like as if he stabbed him with a butter knife, but it was cauterized. So that's what makes a difference. Right after that, you we get the screen turn and then just smash. He he doesn't decapitate him. He fucking like in half. Yeah. He cuts him in uh-huh. half. Yeah. That was fucking brutal. Mm-hmm. Actually, I gotta go back and count. I wonder if they count Brom as one of the decapitations because I would not consider that a decapitation. No, because his head is still technically attached to something. Yeah. It's just in different pieces. Yeah, it's like one quadrant of his body is now not attached to the other. Yeah. I think it's more akin to like a disembowelment at that point because it's just this whole abdominal cavity is just splayed open. Yeah. Gross. (laughs) Jackie's like, stop talking about it. (laughs) I'm just thinking of Braveheart now. Oh, yeah. But you don't see that at the end, but it is. No, yeah. It's heavily implied. Yeah, Tim Burton's like, you want to see intestines? Here you go. Mel Gibson's probably sitting there like, fuck, I didn't even show intestines. God damn. Mm-hmm. He's like, don't worry, I'm going to film Passion of the Christ next. I'm going to get mine. <laughs> Hold my beer. Hold my beer. Last thing with this. All of Crane's backstory is is just fodder for the movie. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the story. All we know about Ichabod is that he comes from Connecticut. But this like witchy mommy and the murderous like bdsm father who's so fucking weird what was his dad supposed to be i don't know i know in the story he had this unhealthy obsession i think with the witch trials yeah and maybe it was a nod to that like yeah but in the story had had nothing to do with his parents right clever no, it didn't, yeah. but but it, maybe his dad was some kind of cleric or some man of the cloth. Yeah, so in the movie, Johnny Depp, you get this um, this flashback or he's having these nightmares about when he was a child, probably like four to six years old. I, I will say this, though. The casting for that little boy was probably the best Tim Burton casting I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. If Tim Burton can actually make his character into a real human being, that's exactly what it would look like. Yeah. Okay. So the mother, the one where like basically everything but her nipple is hanging out. <laughs> um, and she's just like, look at the thing, the bird in the cage. I don't know. If, I don't fucking know. And she's like, well, we're going to draw stuff and we're going to run around. It kind of was very reminiscent of like the 
vision of Edward and Bella running through the woods, you know, like it was just very, I don't know. I don't even know the right word. It was fucking stupid and creepy because her boobs are just out there for no fucking reason. But apparently her doing this made her suspected of witchcraft. Yeah, and one time he even uh, remembers her being or finding her or seeing her in an Iron Maiden. Yeah, that that's where it... And first of all, why, how did this child have access to this just massive layer of torture? Where was this? Where was this layer, this torture dungeon that also had windows? Did you notice? Yeah. It wasn't really a dungeon at all. It was just like a gymnasium that was put some stuff <laughs> into it. It's so fucking weird. <laughs> But then he, like, he can open the Iron Maiden and she just sort of falls out. But also there's a tidal wave of blood. It's it's very artistic way. But I'm like, what is happening? And what does this have to do with the Headless Horseman? Do we ever get that connection? Maybe we're supposed to assume that his his mother's affinity for spiritual things and not necessarily godly things led him to be obsessed with science. I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to exp- explain his obsession with science. He does have that one line that he says to Katrina or Christina Ricci where he goes, I, something, either he lost his faith or he questions faith at a very young age. So I think that's him saying, like, I don't believe in God because all this shit happened. I believe in science. So sure. But then also, is this supposed to like have him tie this connection with Katrina's character? Because Katrina's also like drawing these stupid symbols that i should not say stupid i i I assume if they're in a tim burton film they're not real but if they are to any witch coven out there i'm sorry but she drew them with chalk which looked like a crayon Mm -hmm. and they called it the evil eye Mm -hmm. but apparently it's not evil it's good (laughs) it's a protection yeah but did did we ever get any closure on that with christina ricci like what that was supposed to be no okay no we didn't (laughs) I actually, I'm not going to lie, when I was making notes, I had to debate internally with myself if I actually finished the movie or not. (laughs) Do you remember them ending up in New York? Possibly. But I just feel like I had no closure from the movie. (laughs) It was kind of like, ah! I do know that he was in the carriage and the carriage stopped because apparently he had this grand epiphany. He's like, we got to go back! And then... We go back and we realize that Lady Van, whatever her fucking name is, is not dead. But she did kill her sister, who was the witch. Why they went to the witch in the first place in the woods was also weird. Also, why is her sister the witch in the woods? Like, there's a lot of questions I have that were never answered. Because when I watch these movies for a show, I write down the questions that pop in my head. Or, like, I type in my phone on the notes. And then I go back and see if I can answer said questions either from the movie or the book. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of questions I have that are still unanswered. So I probably am going to write Tim Burton an email. (laughs) No closure. Jackie, are we ready to give our reviews? Yes, yes, we are. Okay. I will go first since I read first. The book I'm giving one star. You know what? I'm going to just go back on what I've said about not rating classics. I'm going to rate them. But I'm going to rate them objectively. This is due to a combination of that 19th century prose and the narration of this super monotone old dude. It does not work. 
Mm-hmm. I need one of these stories to be read to me like I am a child and I have a governess that is doing all of the voices and all of the sound effects. That is the only way I can accept these stories now. So the fact that I did not get this for my 99 cent audiobook, one star. <laughs> Movie. I was torn on this, but I was drawn to the four out of 10. And that is because I just... The fact that I can sit here and go, I don't even know if I finished the movie. While I, I know logistically I was sitting on the bed while the movie was playing, so I should not have gotten up before the movie was over. But Jackie knows that my ADHD is that bad where I might have blacked out. Who knows? Who knows? So this movie did not hold my attention at all. But I do appreciate Tim Burton's strangeness, and I, I do like the changes that he made with the story and the acting in it, I thought was you had like an amazing, you had a stellar cast in here. So I had no issues with that. So those are the only things that are getting four stars is just sort of conception. The execution I think was it failed for me. <laughs> just really Mel, be honest with us. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. Oh, so this is what I was talking about earlier where we're going to answer the question of what makes a good adaptation. I told you about the podcast I listened to and what it is saying is that when the creator figures out what it is that they like about the original and then tries to explore them in a new medium. I had asked myself, do I agree with this? I think it's yes and no. I'll expand on it a little bit. I still think you need to respect the original artist. I don't like Mansfield Park. I don't like what that 1990 adaptation did. I think there's a lot of shit that they put in Jane Austen's mouth that I just think is unacceptable and disrespectful. I don't like that. If you want to do something like that, do a retelling. Like, do something like Clueless. You can even do it in the same time period, but it's a retelling at that point. If you're going to do an adaptation, I think what Tim Burton did here and the screenwriters is they kept the essence of that spooky folklore myth and the like the mayhem it can take on this small town. Like all of that still rings true to me. So I would agree that Tim Burton did a good job with paying the homage, doing, you know, due respect and keeping the story whole in a sense, but there are changes, but I think the changes that he made made sense. So for here, I'm going to go with, it's fine, but Mansfield park, you can go fuck yourself. (laughs) Okay. I was a little bit more generous with the movie. I'm going to say 6 out of 10. Just because I like the strangeness that is the Tim Burton-Johnny Depp pairing. I really do like it. It's just not enough this go-round to go any higher than 6. Did you compare it to any of the other pairings that they've done? Like, I was thinking about Edward Scissorhands. I was too. Okay. Yeah. Because I was like, if you can do that with Edward Scissorhands, like... Why can you not do it with this movie? So in Edward Scissorhands, there were moments or there were parts of that movie that you saw actual sunlight. Yeah. This, it's like the sun never existed. Oh, that's and a I didn't good think point. That was, I didn't think that was totally necessary. Yeah, like he took the whole darkness literally. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Uh, book is a one. It's, it's essentially what you said about the 19th century prose. I mean, I it's just like little women. I don't need to hear about what your fucking cats are doing. Or your dolls. Um, in the garden. It's just exposition. Tell me a story. 
tell me a story. In this case, it was the food. Yeah. I think at one point there was a full page and a half of just talking about the cakes and the pies and the the roasted meats and all this other bullshit. You don't even yeah. get to any of the stories until the literally the third act in the book, which is at the party. Mm-hmm. Where the the men are just standing around telling stories. Yeah. So, but you know, listen, it's a classic. Mm. It's a classic for a reason. Does this one stand the test of time? Not on its own. I think the only reason it's still relevant is because of all of the adaptations that have been done. And it's yep. because the, the concept of the Headless Horseman that really resonates and captures people's attention. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Um, so we, we read and we watched. So hopefully you don't have to DNF. We're going to give you warnings. Maybe we'll tell you don't fuck with either. Uh, I will say watch. Even though I rated the movie low, I think it gets the essence of that Halloween feeling, that fall feeling, that folklore, mythy. Uh, it's trying to tell you a, like a lesson, right? What do we call it? It's, it's got that feel to it and it does it. And it gives that Tim Burton uh, kink to it. I don't know what else to say to it. So I say watch it. I agree. Watch. Okay. Yeah. There you go, guys. Just <clears throat> Halloween time. Turn it on. It's not that long. It's just really gruesome. Maybe, I don't know if it's really a family movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe like if you got older kids-ish, but it's fucking brutal. And there is sort of like sex scene or one. Or it is like, there's a sex-ish scene and then there's like a, a necking scene. Maybe if it's on like TNT or TBS. Oh, and it's at, edited like, four four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, watch that version with your kids. That'll be fine. Okay, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, don't forget to rate, leave a review. Again, our links are in the episode description. So like, follow, share, all that jazz. Come and talk to us, Jackie. What do we have for next week? Well, Melissa, we have. My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix. Hell yeah. I'm excited about that. Was that was a mill pick. It was, and I'm excited about it. Okay, we're going to flip a coin, and it's just for choosing. I'm going to call heads, Jackie's tails. going to flip. It is heads. So I'm going to choose to watch first. Jackie will read first. Okie dokie. We will come together next week and do this all over again until then goodbye